0: Well good evening everyone, let me add my welcome to, sorry Louise, I didn't give you time there to take a sip of water, my apologies. Let me add my welcome to all of you sitting here. My name is Scott, I'm on the church staff team here at Chalmers and I'm very happy to say that like many of the rest of us here tonight, I've had the privilege of knowing Natasha, Ben and Peter for quite some time. They've very much become a part of us as a church family. It's been a pleasure to see them on a Sunday and then throughout the week. And I'm also aware that many of you are not here tonight by chance. Lots of you were invited here by these three individuals tonight to watch these baptisms. And I would be quietly confident that for some of us sitting here this evening, the whole category or experience of church And what happens in a church on a Sunday will not be a familiar one. It's hard to sum up the mood of a room this size, but I suspect that there will be at least some of us who will have arrived here and who will sit here feeling fairly cautious. As those who were baptized shared a bit of their own story, we happily, rightly cheer them on as friends and family but some of the other things that we've heard tonight just might make us roll our eyes or frown ever so slightly. We might dare to ask a few questions about Christianity from time to time, but the reality is that whilst all of this is fine for Natasha, it's fine for Ben, and it's fine for Peter, it's just not really something that interests me. It's just not my thing. I'm happy to go maybe to the occasional Christian events, to a baptism. I don't mind bits of the Bible being read out at weddings. I'd maybe stomach a church visit at Easter or at Christmas time, but I'm definitely not sold on Christianity. Far from it. Objectively, I might see the appeal of a belief in something like a God the comfort it would bring me in hard times, something I can lean on when there are questions in life that I can't answer. I understand that it might even serve as a good moral compass to follow. I know Christian friends that help the poor, that are involved in charity work, that are involved with local and global justice movements. But I don't need to be a Christian to have these things and to do these things. Truth be told, I've got big questions, big uncertainties about church and about organized religion. There's much that either I don't understand, much that I don't like, and much that makes me quite wary. So fine for you if that's your thing, but for me, no thank you. But as we sat here and listened to Natasha, Ben and Peter speak, I couldn't help but notice that their emphasis was really rather different to everything that I've just described. See, yes, there was mention of having something to lean on in difficult moments. Yes, there was a a mention of a sense of purpose. But they all told us emphatically that the reason they were baptized this evening was that they were utterly compelled by the person of Jesus. His words, his teaching, his identity, his compassion, his authority, him. It's clear to me that they have spent less time thinking about how Christianity might benefit someone and much more time thinking about who Jesus is and what he said. See, they have concluded that following Jesus was not merely a crutch, not merely something to fill a gap, but wholly necessary. And not just wholly necessary for the three of them, but wholly necessary for everybody. And there are many moments in Jesus' life recorded for us that really drive us to the heart of who he is. And you see such an incident on the back of the sheet of paper that was handed to you as you came in this evening. This is retold for us by eyewitnesses who were around to see all of this unfold 2,000 years ago. It'll appear on the screens behind me as well. Please read along with me. This is Mark's account of Jesus' life, and he records this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with those sinners and tax collectors, They asked his disciples, why? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, by this stage in his life, Jesus, the figure of Jesus is causing quite a stir in what is a fairly insignificant part of the Roman Empire. From seemingly out of nowhere, he had burst onto the scene. What he said, what he taught, was being listened to by hundreds and thousands of locals and travelers. But not everybody accepted what he said. See, in verse 14 there, Jesus calls a tax collector, Levi, to leave behind his old life and follow Jesus instead. As a result, the religious leaders of the day have a few questions about not only the words that Jesus speaks, but the company that Jesus keeps. It's clear that these religious leaders think that Jesus is spending far, far too much time with those upon whom others would have looked down, culturally speaking. You can almost hear the disgust dripping off their words As they ask one of Jesus' followers in verse 16, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? A tax collector like Levi would have been a local employed by the occupying Romans to take taxes from residents living in a town or a city. But these tax collectors were famed for skimming. They would deliberately take too much tax from citizens so they could keep some of it for themselves it was seen as not only selling out to the Roman occupiers, but turning your back on your own people. I suppose the equivalent today would be a corrupt politician, a corrupt judge, a corrupt police officer, deliberately misleading, deliberately cheating ordinary men and women out of money and out of justice. And the religious leaders of the day cannot understand why Jesus, of all people, Jesus, who spoke about justice, Jesus, who spoke about forgiveness, was spending time around morally bankrupt men like Levi. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners, they ask. And Jesus' reply is not only a brilliant response to the religious leaders, but a wonderful summary of his identity and his purpose and his mission as he walked the earth. 2,000 years ago, verse 17, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Just after New Year, a matter of weeks ago, I was hospitalized for what I think is the fourth time in 30 years. I think that's a pretty good ratio, but I've really got nothing to go by. So maybe it's an awful ratio. Two of those times were sporting related injuries. Both happened at Williamwood High School back in Glasgow on one of those bright red ash pitches before grass was invented. It was literally like running and playing sport on a climbing wall. The other two incidents weren't sporting related. One of them would be a really inappropriate story to share publicly. I was going to say if you want to know more, come up and ask me afterwards. Don't. In each of those occasions, as I sat in A&E, whether it was a lump on my forehead, an inability to rotate my left hand, or swelling in my knee, what I desperately needed was an able, experienced doctor to correctly diagnose my condition and offer me exactly the right cure. I needed someone who could authoritatively say to me, this is what is wrong with you, and this is what we're going to do about it. And what any Christian, including those who have been baptized here this evening, what any Christian has come to realize is that there is something desperately wrong with all of us. Much, much more serious than a sporting injury. Jesus says, verse 17, that the sickness in question that resides in me that resides in all of us sitting here this evening, that resides in every human across the world, Jesus says that the sickness in question is the sinfulness in our hearts. The illness that Jesus has come to diagnose and cure is the rebellion in our lives against the God that has made us, the God that has loved us, and against the good God that has lovingly responded by sending his son Jesus to cure us. And I'm not sure that I need to stand up here and convince many of you that there is evil and sinfulness lurking in the heart of every human being. We see it every day in our world affairs, we see it in our politics, we see it on our screens, we see it in our homes and we see it on our streets. And I'm increasingly aware of how much pain hurt and damage that I see in the world, that I see in relationships and friendships that I have, that can be traced back to the actions of an individual or a group of individuals or to me. In fact, it was a a Russian philosopher and novelist named Alexander Solzhenitsyn who put it brilliantly when he said that the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. Jesus goes one better. He diagnoses that as sin. And he says that it has infected every single one of us. Whether you have spent your whole life around Christianity or you've wanted nothing to do with it, whether you would count yourself as morally credible or whether you're painfully aware of humanity's deficiencies or some blend of all of the above, Jesus says that we have all rejected God. all rejected his love, his laws, his generosity, and as a result, our hearts, our lives, and our world is broken. But even more crucially, there is a penalty to pay for that sin. Jesus says that there are serious, eternal consequences for the ways in which we have turned our backs on the God that made us an eternity without all that is good, an eternity without him. And then he offers the cure himself. See, in Jesus, God has stepped into humanity to live a life of perfect obedience to his own laws, to display a perfect love for humanity, and then offers to swap places with us. He goes to the cross 2,000 years ago to suffer the penalty that we deserve for our sins instead of us and gives us his perfect life and his perfect obedience to God. And if we trust in him, we are fully forgiven. Our relationship with God is restored. Jesus is the doctor that sinners like me, sinners like us, desperately desperately need. Whilst I was recovering on the sofa a few weeks ago, at one point I received a phone call from my GP. They were ringing me to tell me the results of tests that had been done on my knee. Now how foolish it would have been for me to ignore that call. How counterintuitive it would have been to feel indifferent towards the diagnosis that had been authoritatively made by the able doctor that I had seen. See, I cannot possibly ignore or dismiss Jesus' claims here about our world, about humanity, about his own life and death and about my eternity, not if there's even an outside chance that all of this is true and real. I have to listen very, very carefully to his words. I have to listen very, very carefully to his diagnosis there is simply too much at stake here for me to ignore his call. There is too much at stake here for me to write all of this off as something that suits Natasha, something that suits Ben, something that suits Peter, but just is not for me. It's just not my bag. If anything, the problem facing the religious leaders of Jesus' day was that they thought they were morally secure in their religious convictions. So they violently reject Jesus and they violently reject his words. But by contrast, Levi and the others who recognized that Jesus' diagnosis of sin was true and recognized that Jesus' cure of his own life and death was what they desperately needed, Jesus says, That is who I have come for. And in many ways, As I draw to a close, that is the choice that faces all of us. See, Jesus' plea to all of us this evening is not to sneer at him, nor to sneer at his words, but instead to be Levi. To listen carefully to Jesus' diagnosis. To understand that we need Jesus to be made right before God. And to leave behind our old lives and follow him instead. And what we as a church family, what the three individuals who are baptized tonight would love for you to consider this evening is that Jesus is exactly the right doctor that we all need to make that happen. And what we as a church family would love for you to do is to look into this for yourselves. Take the time that you need, chat to the person that came with you this evening, chat to the people who are baptized. See what you make of Jesus. See what you make of his claims see how compelling he is, and please, with everything that's at stake, follow him. The only reason that all of this is possible, the only reason that the three people who are baptized this evening can stand up here is not because of the strength of their faith in God, but because of the strength of God's steadfast love and care for them. He is the one who holds us fast. Father, we thank you that if we have placed our faith and trust in you, that you hold us fast. And we pray tonight that you would help us to seriously consider and ponder the words of Jesus, that he has come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Father, help us to understand our need of forgiveness and help us by your spirit to place our faith and trust in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.